Hey friends, it's Michelle Lamoureux and welcome to Friday Focus. This is a new series that I'm doing where I'm taking the week's interview, which can run anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes, and I'm giving you the highlight of the interview. So the intention behind it is to showcase either my favorite part of the interview because it was inspirational or it had an actionable tip that you could put into effect right away and play with yourself, or it just had something really interesting that will leave you thinking. So I hope you enjoyed this week's Friday Focus. Here we go. You had written in your book that, and I found this interesting, that everyone's, every woman's experience with perimenopause is actually, it is different. So does this make it hard for women to get the care they need? Is this part of the disconnect we're seeing? Okay. Can you speak on this? Absolutely. So several things are happening at this time. One, there's not a uniform presentation other than cessation of periods, right? And then, but there we've now identified about 40 symptoms that are absolutely linked to menopause. The other thing is that a lot of these symptoms can overlap other conditions. So hypothyroidism, autoimmune disease. So, and there's been this general dismissal. I wrote an essay about this and I'm kind of calling out myself, but I'll, I'll be honest and share it. When I was in medical school and training, when a woman in her forties, you know, came in fifties uh, and was complaining of very vague symptoms of lethargy, um, being tired, not sleeping, maybe a hot flash or two, gaining weight, you know, mood swings. We called it a WW. What's that? Whining woman. Oh, no. Thank you yes. for being honest about that. And I want to die now. You know, I, I was taught to me. And so we didn't wait, write it wait, in the wait. chart. Can I just slow this down? Because seriously, you were literally taught this what, in medical school? Like, or? It was like, it was something kind of just said in the back hallway. You know, you would never write it in a chart. You would never, but it would be like, you know, you'd see your colleague would say, hey, you got a WW in room three, get ready. Because you, the thought was, this is an emotional thing. You're never going to get her better. It was immediate dismissal because this was her, she was depressed or this was psychological. And there was, this was not a medical thing. This was all in her head. Oh, wow. That's really important. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think a lot of women are going to feel validated just mm-hmm. by the fact that you said that. So, and that's why you. like people are so quick to prescribe any, antidepressants in this situation. Um, one, there is, you know, antidepressants can actually be helpful for hot flashes. We use them in women who have a contraindication to hormone therapy for estrogen. Okay. So sometimes I will prescribe veloxifene or something for hot flashes and it can be helpful, but like the rate of antidepressant use in from a woman in her twenties to her forties goes up 400%. So, and I'm like, wait a minute, not that many women are getting depressed, (laughs) you know, like we're just throwing antidepressants at menopause, you know, and that's not the that's not the gold standard of therapy. So there's not evidence to say that women are four times as many women are getting depressed. That is not it. It's just we're overusing them in an effort to not we're not understanding what is going on with her. So there's a total lack of education and training in in diagnosing the nuances of perimenopause and menopause, recognizing the symptoms that may be not be that common and being able to discuss and offer treatment. I I'm so grateful that you've stepped out of the conventional way of practicing and like you're also educating and you're like a social media influencer now and doing all this stuff because what you're saying now, what you're doing online, the information you're sharing is validating women. 
It's empowering them with information that they can actually go to their doctors and have a better conversation around. And you're providing solutions through something they can control. In this case, we'll call it the life, the Galveston lifestyle, if you want, instead of diet, because this is all within their reach. This is all within like the, the kitchen in a way, or just, ma- you know, managing sleep and inflammation. And I want to get into this. Um, but I also do see a trend because I've interviewed very many different kinds of doctors on the show. And it seems like the medical system has been this patriarchal system. So much of the research has been historically on men only. And then it was just like in the nineties that, oh, it's like, oh, we we should probably start studying women. (laughs) And and that takes a while to reach clinical practice, if I understand correctly. Exactly. So the other thing that's happening in women's health is I did an experiment two, three weeks ago. And I was like, I wonder, let me see what happens here. So PubMed is a a repository of research data Um, of research articles, and it's published by the National Institutes of Health, the NIH. And so whenever I'm looking for something, I go there, type in a search term, and then, you know, 10,000 articles come up and I start digging. Yeah. Um, I'm there every day. Okay. Okay. I go, I wonder how, what, for women's health, how much is pregnancy focused? I know, you know, pregnancy is important. I'm not denying that. I learned that I can deliver a baby upside down, backwards, inside out. Like (laughs) I've saved so many lives, you know, not to be dramatic, but like very, very important stuff. So I typed in the word pregnancy. And and so this is articles from the 1700s. Like they go back as far as research articles have been made. Okay. 1.1 million articles on pregnancy research, like peer reviewed research articles. Like, yay. Okay. Yes. So then I just typed in menopause. 94,000. Wow. So it's about 10 to one, a little more than 10 to one. And, and that holds even in the last 10 years. So why are we investing our, our brain research, our time, our energy, our money into pregnancy and not, and when more women are going to go through menopause than bear children, and we can make just as much of an impact on a woman's health in her menopause because she spends a third of her life there and we can dramatically improve the quality of her life, you know, and every single article on menopause that is published in the last 10 years says we need more research. We need more research. Well, you've done it with at least you've got a roadmap (laughs) for nutrition and, and cause your, your plan can actually help reduce hot flashes, help women sleep, get rid of the belly fat. I I love, I have a I love my doctors. I have to say, I really, I feel like I'm in good care. However, one of them told me, I asked her, I said, Hey, I, this last year, I'm just getting this like belly, you know, like it seems like the weight is redistributed. It like it wants to be around my belly and on my bo- my backside. And she said, well, there's nothing you can do about the belly fat, but that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. So, um, we definitely see, okay. So um, there's a really elegant article and it's, it's on my social right now where I talk about where they documented, they followed 1700 women. It was the swans. They looked at the swan data. That's another big, big, big study done on women. And they followed them for years and, uh, 1700 women. And they followed them for, I think, 17 years from pre-menopause, perimenopause, post-menopause. Right. Okay. And they, they followed their weight and their BMI. They also put them in DEXA scanners and measured their body fat composite, their body composition. So what we know is there's a linear rise in weight gain. So you'll see even famous OBGYNs saying menopause is not related to weight gain. Okay. But it doesn't mean we're not gaining weight. Okay. Women are gaining weight at a rate average of one to two, one to 1.5 pounds per year, starting at about age 35. And it levels off at about age 65. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so 
that is unrelated. That slope doesn't change with menopause, but here's what's changing and dramatically your body composition. So you are losing muscle accelerated the two to three years before your period stops. There's an inflection in the curve. The slope goes up dramatically and you are um, gaining body fat. Okay. Dramatically. So you are exchanging fat for muscle. If you do everything, if you have, if you're in this amazing plan at 35, you're just living your life, doing everything like I was, like we all were, you know, I got this, I'm good. And then all of a sudden you're like, wham, what's this? You know, I haven't done anything different, anything. And I'm like, you know, this was never taught to me. That article was published in 2021. This is new information, but this has been going on since the beginning of time. And no one ever recognized it, that the woman's body composition is changing dramatically in relation to when her period stops. And so, and it's leading to dramatic changes in her health. So yes, there are things you can do. So if your listeners take nothing away from this, um, the top, you know, these are things that are studied. So there are different ways to measure visceral or belly fat. One is the DEXA scan. That's a gold standard, but not everybody has access to that. A really kind of easy way is called the waist hip ratio. And I talk yeah. about it in the book yeah. where you measure the tiniest part of your waist and the widest part of your hips around your butt. And you, you divide those two with waist divided by hip, right? Just the way you're built. Yeah. And if it's less than 0.7, you're good. You probably don't have a lot of visceral, visceral or intra-abdominal fat, okay? Which is the dangerous fat. Okay. If it's greater the other than kinds, one, I didn't mean to interrupt is subuca- subcutaneous fat. Subcutaneous. Yeah. Okay. So okay. subcutaneous fat is the fat you've known your whole life. That is the fat that gives us curves. It's in our breasts, it's in our butt, it's, it gives us cellulite. It's cosmetically distressing, but it's not that dangerous in modest amounts. Okay. okay. Visceral fat above a certain level becomes an inflammatory organ pumping out cytokines, leading to chronic inflammation, insulin resistance, increasing risk of diabetes, hypertension, stroke, all the Mm. chronic, you know, inflammatory diseases. And so women who do the following have a much lower chance of developing this visceral fat shunt. Okay. Okay. One hormone replacement therapy in the form of estrogen plus or minus progesterone, not testosterone. Okay. Okay. Number two, not to say there's not a benefit for testosterone for other things, but not for that. Number two is fiber, watching your fiber intake, getting at least 25 grams per day for a woman. I think it's about 38 for a man in case you have any male listeners. Uh, Number three is both aerobic. And I mean, these are no brainers. I mean, you know. Yeah. Now, remember, our body wants to shed muscle. It is a hormone phenomena. You have got to work to hang on to it. And so making sure you're getting adequate protein, women who have 1 to 1.5 grams per kilogram of lean body mass, and this is all built into the program, have less visceral fat because they have more muscle. Okay. Yeah. Um, and doing consistent resistance training at least two days a week of upper body, lower body, and core, as well as cardio. So cardio is to keep, you know, I'm like, I tell our followers and my students and my patients, stop exercising to be skinny. Take that out of your mind. Stop counting calories. Get that out of your head. We exercise, we move our bodies to be strong. Okay. No one cares what you look like in a bikini at 70. And that's what we're here for. We are here for you to be living your best life. You're that woman at 70 who is kicking ass and taking names. And if you don't make the changes today, look at what your mom's going through, your aunts. You know, like, is that the life you want? Like, what behaviors do you need to adopt to get that life you want in 20 years as healthy as possible? Because the the body and the life I have now was set 20 years ago. And the body I'm going to have in 20 years, I'm making right now. 
If you want to listen to the entire interview, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. Show notes are always available at thegoodlifecoach.com with all of the interviews also available on the podcast page. And don't forget to share your favorite interviews with your friends. Okay, bye for now.